If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. CNN unwittingly crafted its own obituary. Slow death by self-inflicted wounds. Resurrection is unlikely. It'd take a miracle. For decades, the network billed itself as the most trusted name in news. But amid a tsunami of scandals and a debilitating loss of roughly 90% of its audience, CNN has transformed itself into the most distrusted name in news. It's a moniker well-deserved. The recent humiliating exit of its president, Jeff Zucker, leaves CNN rudderless just as AT&T dumps ownership off to Discovery Incorporated. That's like buying the Titanic. The new owner might want to consider selling CNN for scrap, assuming any of it can be reclaimed from the graveyard of media shipwrecks. The rest of Warner Media has value, including HBO, Warner Brothers, TNT, and TBS. But CNN is now the runt of the litter, and its future looks bleak. The purchase is not yet final, so, well, maybe the new buyer could reverse the transaction by making the seller pay just to get rid of it. In the short course of one year, CNN has lost 80% of its total viewers, 89% of its primetime audience, and 91% of its coveted demographic ages 18 to 49. These wretched ratings should come as no surprise. CNN has elevated self-emulation to an art form, yet its arrogance continues unabated. Attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times best-selling author. This is The Brief with Greg Jarrett. To all my listeners with an IRA, 401k, or other retirement savings, have you seen the headlines today? Our federal debt has now reached over $29 trillion. What our government is not saying is that the Fed is running out of ways to fight this growing debt bomb. Inflation and tax hikes may be their only way out. We all dodged a bullet when Senator Joe Manchin announced he wouldn't support the Democrats' crazy Build Back Better plan, but the Democrats may not give up that easily. That is not good news for hardworking American taxpayers. Whatever Biden and his cronies do in 2022 may mean even higher inflation. The more the dollar comes under attack, the more physical gold and silver could protect your money. So if you have $50,000 or more in your retirement savings, your money could be at risk. Learn how you can protect your life savings from Biden's tax plans with physical gold and silver. Call 855-665-0767 to receive your wealth protection kit. That's right. Call 855-665-0767 and Goldco may give you 
$10,000 or more in free silver when you open a qualified account. That's why GoldCo is the only company I recommend for gold and silver. GoldCo is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and a five-time Inc. winner with countless five-star reviews. So what are you waiting for? Call 855-665-0767. That's 855-665-0767. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Jeff Zucker was captain of the doomed ship known as CNN. He micromanaged everything. In his eight years at the helm, he managed to turn a credible network into a laughingstock. All the while, he maintained an affair with a female employee he kept promoting over others. Together, the romantic duo were secretly counseling New York Governor Andrew Cuomo on how to take down President Trump. Well, it all blew up in Zucker's face when, amid growing pressure, he belatedly canned primetime host Chris Cuomo for lying about his own role defending his brother during a cascade of sexual harassment and abuse allegations that eventually led to his resignation in disgrace. Only then did Chris threaten to blow the whistle on his boss Jeff Zucker's ongoing tryst and his covert counseling of the love gov. Seized with fear, AT&T sacked the CNN president, but details of the sordid affair spilled out anyway. And it's not just Zucker and Cuomo who've sullied the good name and reputation of CNN. The network's other primetime star, Don Lemon, has been embroiled in a scandal of his own, sued by a Hamptons bartender for sexual assault. Then there's legal analyst Jeff Tubin, caught on camera pleasuring himself during a Zoom call. And not to be forgotten are two CNN producers. One was busted on charges of enticing minor girls for sex. The other is under criminal investigation involving potential juvenile victims. Throughout all of this, CNN's slow-witted media critic Brian Stelter served as the network's chief excuse maker and unabashed apologist. It's no wonder his weekend show has an audience that can best be described as tens of people. The man is clueless and banal. He's the most hapless of clowns in the CNN circus. Stelter, you'll recall, is the guy who promoted on air the presidential aspirations of Michael Avenatti. That was before the crooked lawyer ended up in prison for extortion. Just days ago, he was convicted yet again for stealing nearly $300,000 from his client, the porn star Stormy Daniels. Anybody with a brain knew that Avenatti was a sleazeball, so naturally, Stelter loved him. But the most revealing scandal involving CNN occurred a few months ago when the guerrilla news outlet Project Veritas published secretly recorded videos of the network's technical director, Charles Chester, on camera, he is heard declaring that there's no such thing as unbiased news at CNN. He even bragged that the network meddled in the 2020 presidential contest by inventing phony stories about Donald Trump and actively aiding Joe Biden's election. 
Chester also boasted that CNN milked the pandemic to gin up its ratings, quote, which is why we constantly have the death toll on the side of the screen, he noted. This helps explain why the network openly championed all of the business shutdowns and personal lockdowns imposed by Democrat mayors and governors during the pandemic. It was the wrong thing to do. It was devoid of scientific justification. And I said so in a series of columns that I wrote for this website in March and April of 2020. Now, nearly two years hence, an extensive study by Johns Hopkins University has determined that the COVID lockdowns were completely ineffective. The economic and personal hardships of these draconian measures far outweighed the minuscule benefit of reducing deaths by 0.2%. That's right, less than 1%. This is precisely what I argued at the outset. It was foolish, destructive, and irrational. Or as the Hopkins study put it, quote, lockdown policies are ill-founded and should be rejected out of hand as a pandemic policy instrument. But there was CNN in concert with others in the mainstream media publicly shaming anyone who dared to disagree with the dictatorial commands of liberal politicians in blue states and fueled by the idiocy of Dr. Anthony Fauci. Instead of allowing for candid debates about the merits of those harsh orders, dissenters were banned and censored for presenting any opposing views. The media didn't seem to care that the shutdowns and lockdowns left millions of people unemployed, destroyed countless businesses, caused serious educational loss in children, increased social alienation and domestic violence, precipitated a surge in depression, alcoholism, drug abuse, suicides, and overdoses. Those entirely foreseeable consequences were utterly immaterial to the liberal press. It is unsurprising that networks like CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, CBS have all ignored the Johns Hopkins study. Likewise, many in the print media, such as the New York Times, the Washington Post, Associated Press, Reuters, USA Today, Axios, and Politico, all imposed a blackout on the Hopkins study. None of them bothered to report that the lockdowns and shelter-in-place orders actually increased COVID deaths, according to Hopkins, because home confinement tended to infect family members with a higher viral load. Why the collective silence on all of this? Well, to admit the truth now would require self-reflection with the inevitable concession that news organizations were neither objective nor thoughtful. They banished diversity of thought, and instead they fueled a narrative driven by their own leftist agenda. It came with a stern warning, adhere to the strict COVID orthodoxy or else. Journalists will never admit that they were wrong or unfair about shutdowns, lockdowns, and mask mandates. They'll simply avoid talking about it and scuttle any evidence to the contrary. Nor will the media ever acknowledge the shortcomings of the vaccines themselves. 
Their efficacy has been shown to wane rapidly over time. They don't exactly work as promised. We were told that getting the shot would prevent you from contracting the virus. It didn't. We were told that being vaccinated meant you could not transmit the virus. It doesn't. The Delta and Omicron variants proved that. We were also told that people still had to comply with vaccine mandates even though they had survived the disease. Natural immunity, we were scolded, was not good enough. Well, recently, the CDC reversed itself, finally recognizing that natural immunity is more protective against infection than vaccination. Say what? Yet the government still demands compliance, even for those with natural immunity. And that means that millions of vaccines are being wasted on those who don't need them. Where is the liberal media in all of this? Crickets. It's as if it never happened. They continue to denounce people like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who refused to impose lockdowns, mask mandates, and vaccine mandates. It didn't matter to the press that his state actually recorded lower deaths per capita than other states where mandates rule everyone's lives. The media also excoriated popular podcaster Joe Rogan for his audacity in questioning the safety and efficacy of the COVID vaccines. He interviewed infectious disease experts who voiced some doubt. Apparently, Joe didn't know or didn't care that doubt is never tolerated. No, the media went after him with a vengeance, and they're still at it. Rogan is a double threat because he also discussed the virtues of therapies and drug treatments like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. The media had declared that these medical applications were nothing more than folk remedies like eye of newt and toe of frog. Forget that doctors had reported success with COVID patients. Any talk of treatments beyond the government-sanctioned vaccines were blasphemous. When aging rocker Neil Young decided to stick his bulbous nose into the Rogan controversy, I knew that the notoriously snotty musician was grandstanding. He penned an ultimatum to Spotify, demanding that the platform remove Rogan or remove him. Quote, you can have Rogan or Young, not both, he threatened. Spotify correctly chose to ditch Neil Young. Financial considerations aside, the platform was not about to cave to the extortionate threats. And good for them. They're not a content editor or publisher in the conventional sense. And besides, when you join Young's cancel culture, where do you draw the line? Who's next? Does Young get to pick and choose what podcast or even whose music you're entitled to listen to? Neil Young is a hypocrite. I mean, this is the guy who joined the Freedom of Speech Tour in 2006. He's somehow forgotten what speaking freely really means. As an outspoken activist in the Vietnam era, Neil Young wrote the anti-war anthem Ohio, which catapulted him to the top of the protest singers of his day. After that, he spoke freely in his songs about everything from racism in America to the deteriorating environment. 
But in typical lefty fashion, Young's idea of free speech extends only to the speech with which he agrees. All other speech must be censored or canceled. That's what's behind his targeting of Joe Rogan. But Neil Young doesn't have the sense to recognize it or the courage to admit it. He's like the cowardly lion in The Wizard of Oz. He thinks he can roar, and Spotify will shudder. It didn't work. Joining me now to talk about it is Joe Concha, a media and politics columnist for The Hill and a Fox News contributor. Joe, thanks for being here. Let's begin by talking about another Joe, Joe Rogan, and the effort to cancel or censor his popular podcast. You know, as I see it, Rogan was targeted because he didn't strictly abide by the prevailing COVID orthodoxy. He actually decided to ask important questions. He invited on his program medical guests who raised some doubts about vaccine efficacy, about the mandates. And for that, people like Neil Young demanded that he be silenced. When you think about that, you know, it's pretty cheeky coming from a guy, Neil Young, who used his own free speech rights to protest the war in Vietnam and to advocate for decades uh, for liberal causes, isn't it? It's stunningly hypocritical, and I don't think these guys really think before they move ahead with actions like this. Or maybe this was some sort of PR gambit just to draw attention back to himself, because, again, he hasn't been big, basically, since the Nixon years, right? So, uh, boy, he's getting a lot of attention now. Does that mean more record sales? I'm, I'm not really sure. But, I mean, Joe Rogan, let's make sure everybody understand you know, exactly who this guy is, right? Mid-50s, martial artist, comedic actor, UFC color commentator, and probably the biggest thing to hit the airwaves as far as audio since Rush Limbaugh, Howard Stern, Sean Hannity, and now Greg Jarrett, right? The, the, the next great hope <laughs> as far as audio is concerned. And thanks for having me. This, this is fun. Uh, I, I know this is my first time yeah, it's joining. It's good to see you. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, Joe Rogan doesn't come from central casting when it comes to, you know, being one of the country's biggest celebrities now, and that, that's what he is. But Rush didn't come from central casting, right? And Howard didn't come from central casting. Uh, and, and what Rogan has is authenticity, unpredictability, and fearlessness, right? And, and we remember that you know, Limbaugh, the FCC, there were big time movements way back when the 90s to try to get him canceled. Same with Stern. And they both survived and they were only bigger for it as a result when they came out the other side. So now you have Joe Rogan, who draws something like 11 million listeners per day on Spotify. And those numbers, I'm sure, are going up. And remember what 11 million means, Greg, right? Uh, 11 million a day. Let's put it this way. CNN is a major international brand. They have thousands of employees and they're averaging less than 500 thousand viewers a day <laughs> right so <laughs> and rogan has like what five employees and cnn has thousands and they're in all these newsrooms across the country and they only get five hundred thousand. so that, that that puts it in perspective but yeah it's not just the woke left that is targeting joe rogan i saw a couple of weeks ago uh vivek murthy right and who's he he's the surgeon general of the united states and he's talking about how the government needs to 
help in squashing misinformation, and as he calls it, uh, and, and to limit the spread of misinformation. And to do that, the best way is for big tech to assist the government in terms of shutting guys like Joe Rogan down. And I, all I know is that misinformation, when, any government official who talks about that, particularly uh, you know if you're from the CDC, for example, and uh, or you're the president of the United States, who literally told CNN not too long ago that if you get the vaccine, you can't get COVID, which we've learned, no, that does happen. Or MSNBC and Rachel Maddow, who said, if you get the vaccine, then you can't spread COVID. And we know that's not to be true as well. Or, hey, this virus may have come from a lab in Wuhan. Oh, if you said that, like Tom Cotton did, you literally got censored by social media. And now we're seeing even Jon Stewart is saying, who I believe isn't going to be invited to CPAC this year, that that is a very definite possibility that's where this came from. So Rogan's point around COVID, at least, is that, well, there is no absolute truth, because every time we're told something's absolute truth, it ends up being not true. So th- that's where that goes. And then as far as his comments around racism, Greg, uh, he was quoting, from what I heard, and I went back and listened to, to a couple of these, he was quoting Red Fox and Lenny Bruce and these comedians that use the N-word openly, and then he would just repeat back what they said. So he wasn't saying in any malicious way, in any way that a true racist would. Uh, he regrets saying it in full now. I know I've never said that word in full in my life, and maybe you should have just said N-word, but does that mean he should be uh, wiped off the face of the earth uh, for, for simply quoting other people who said it? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. Um, you know, you, Spotify is a platform. Mm-hmm. It's not a content publisher. They don't exercise editorial control. But, you know, Joe, if, if Spotify were to cave into the demands to cancel or censor Joe Rogan, where in the world do they draw the line after that? I mean, anybody could be banished if they don't uh, adhere to the prevailing point of view. And public figures like Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, and by the way, I love their music, but they want everybody to believe what they believe, and if you don't, you'll be punished. So instead of allowing listeners to decide for themselves, they want to decide for everybody else. I mean, that's a slippery slope, isn't it? I would envision a cascade of cancellations and censorship if Spotify were to capitulate. And if they were to capitulate, let's say that did happen, and they, they haven't to this point. They've eliminated some podcasts that had what they deemed to be racially sensitive content. And they're, they're from the past, and no one's going back and, and, and listening to podcasts and archives, I think, for the most part. You're listening to the new version, right? I, I think that's the way it goes, but uh, your podcast folks would probably tell me that better, better than I could. Uh, but let's say they did capitulate. There is Rumble waiting in the wings right now, right? Spotify's uh, competitor who says, okay, we will not censor you in any way, shape, or form, and we're going to give you the same $100 million that Spotify is giving us. Or there's another company called Odyssey that's basically offering the same thing. So if one company, and this is the beauty of capitalism, decides that they're woke enough to the point where they are going to appease the mob and uh, take Joe Rogan off of their airways, for lack of a better term, off their platform, there's Rumble right there to say, okay, we got you. Same thing with Twitter and all the alternatives are coming about when it comes to that. So hopefully that's a great development because what I've learned Again, uh, more speech is better than less speech. And if you squash a Joe Rogan in one place, he's going to pop up in another and be bigger than ever. And and that may very well happen here. I agree with you 100 percent. And, you know, beyond Joe Rogan and, and Spotify, I mean, we have seen active censorship. And you mentioned this by big tech companies, including Facebook and Twitter. And it was especially acute 
during the presidential election. I mean, the story about Hunter Biden and his incriminating laptop and tens of millions of dollars that he was making by leveraging his father's power while dear old dad's running for president. I mean, a lot of that was suppressed by the tech giants. And on other topics, the, you know, the suppression is still going on. How dangerous do you think this is getting? It's dangerous because it's actually impacting presidential elections, right? Uh, and, and what happened that October of 2020 when that information came out about Hunter Biden and the New York Post had the goods? It's not like so many stories that we saw about Russia collusion with Trump, for example, where a source close to the president. You remember Anonymous, Greg? It was supposed to right. be Anonymous. Is it Mike Pence? Is it... Uh, the chief of staff and General Kelly is it Kellyanne Conway anonymous? It's somebody really close to the president, and and he is privy to all these conversations that says that Trump is is a dangerous maniac. And it turns out right. anonymous was basically like one step above the White House chef, you know? <laughs> so, right? Yeah, he was the equivalent of the White House janitor, right? Yeah, and, and and you know, gossip was treated as gospel when it came to any source close to the president during all those years when the sources weren't even in the room for the most part, probably right. But the reporters were like seagulls at the beach and you throw something up to him, it, it could be a sirloin steak or it could be Pop Rocks, the seagull is going to eat it. And same thing with our press. If it's something bad about, in, in that case, Trump, they were going to gobble it up without verifying anything whatsoever and swallow it whole. So in in the case of uh, what, what we're talking about here, the New York Post had actual, you know, the laptop. They had the emails. No one right. on those emails disputed anything that was being written or said. So you knew it to be true. And yet... Big tech, when it came to Facebook, when it came to Twitter, if you shared a story about Hunter Biden and him using his family to influence, you got your account eliminated. Ask Kelly McEnany. It happened to her. She happened to be the White House press secretary at the time. So, yeah, and I wonder, again, when you think about that presidential election, and it came down to 77,000 votes when you combine Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin. And if those states go the other way, then you have a 269-269 tie, and then who knows what happens from there. Maybe Donald Trump is your president again. And I got to think that if, if, if the press pursued Hunter Biden allegations the way they would if it were a Donald or an Eric Trump, I have a feeling that those votes, you know, either people would have stayed home or maybe switched their votes to Trump and we'd have a much different outcome. And that's why it was so important for the press to do their job there. And they fell down, not because of human error, because they wanted to, because they wanted to squash a narrative they knew would hurt the guy they were rooting for. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, the COVID uh, controversies that uh, and, and some of it's related to Joe Rogan. But in my opening remarks, I talked about how all the major news organizations other than Fox and I'm talking about print news, uh, network news, all of them, uh, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, New York Times, uh, Washington Post have completely ignored this Johns Hopkins study that was exhaustive, and it was a study of studies, so a compilation of evidence, and it concluded that the shutdowns and the lockdowns were the wrong thing to do. They destroyed people's lives and livelihoods, and for what? Those measures, so draconian, reduced deaths by less than 1%, 0.2%. Have journalists ignored the study and its conclusions because it demonstrates the folly of the Harline positions that 
those in the media took for almost two years. That is, you know, we have to follow the mask mandates, the vaccine mandates, blindly follow what the government tells us to do. And anybody who doesn't is going to be publicly shamed. The media doesn't want to admit, Joe, that, you know, it was wrong. It was wrong uh, because we took everything that Dr. Anthony Fauci said. We used that word gospel gospel before. I'm going to use it again, gospel, right? So if Fauci said it, it had to be true. And if you doubted Fauci, then you openly advocated uh, killing people, right? I mean, that, that's how you can't even right. have like a normal debate anymore with any nuance whatsoever. Oh, no, you're a bad person and you really are just rooting for the deaths of your fellow Americans, right? Uh, and that's that's what is, is maddening about this because I think that report, that study that came out is the most important study that we've seen in two years when it comes to COVID because from a news perspective, it impacts Basically, every American, all 335 million Americans were impacted by COVID in some way, shape or form. Right. And I'm not talking about impacted in terms of the physical aspect of it, but the mental aspect of it. Or maybe they lost their job or maybe they lost their business or maybe their kid. I got a six and an eight year old and, you know, I I don't share too much about them. But I'm telling you that remote learning that they underwent for a year and the fact they're still in Mass, New Jersey. Thankfully, that's going to be lifted next month. It does I think has had an impact on their behavior to a certain extent, and they are behind in their learning. That that we know, uh, and they study every night and try their hardest. But uh, the, the bottom line is that uh, that study should have been amplified on every major news network. 60 Minutes should have done a piece on that that Sunday night, the minute it came out. And not only is it barely being discussed, it's not being discussed. It's not even being reported because the media knows that they fell for everything that was being said about this virus, hook, line, and sinker because they trusted the government. And that is the opposite of what journalists should do. You should be speaking truth to power and pursuing truth and being untrustful of your government because you got to think that maybe they're spinning something for their own benefit and for their own power. So that, that that's what's amazing to me. And now the, every European study, not every, but many European studies have concluded the same thing that, that John, Johns Hopkins did. And now only now are we going to get back to a normal life. But you have to wonder for years and years what the impact this is going to have, particularly on our children, Greg, and the fact that we're ignoring that study is just journalistic malfeasance times 100. When the pandemic hit and, and there was talk, just talk back then of lockdowns and shutdowns, I wrote a series of columns for my own website saying, don't do it, wrong thing to do. You are conjuring up a cure that is far worse than the illness. Uh, and, you know, I was ridiculed, mocked and demeaned for doing that. You know, people try to cancel me and so forth. And, you know, I was happy to see the, the results of this Johns Hopkins study, not because it vindicated what I argue, but because it is a warning sign. Don't ever do this sort of thing again. There are other ways to deal with a pandemic. But let me move forward to talk about um, CNN, which which I uh, talked about in my opening remarks. I mean, CNN has self-destructed big time over the course of the last year. Its ratings are down roughly 90%. I gave the exact figures. Yep. Um, I've been in the business for 40 years. Joe, I've never seen such a monumental crash and burn. How much of it was caused by the endless scandals and how much by the extreme left positions that the network has been taking? 
I would say less by the scandal because I'm not sure people care too much about the people behind the scenes, so to speak. Then again, Chris Cuomo was a very big scandal, right? Uh, but but for the most part, if you're talking about uh, producers who are pedophiles or you know w- whatever Jeff Zucker did as far as he and his girlfriend advising Governor Andrew Cuomo at the time on how to look good on, on COVID and how to make the sitting president look bad at the height of a pandemic when, when people are dying, and this is what the president of CNN is thinking of, uh, a political opportunity, an opportunity for us to boost our ratings while making the sitting president president look bad. That's what an activist looks like. And I got to hear from all these current employees of CNN, those on the air, uh, insisting that Jeff Zucker was the greatest president basically since Abraham Lincoln. We're not just talking about network presidents, presidents of all time type of thing, right? (laughs) And I used to write sports columns, all right, for for NBC and and then for Fox uh, way back when in my younger years, my 20s. And and I can tell you, and, and anybody who just follows sports can tell you that when a general manager gets fired or when a manager gets fired, all you do is look at the record. You know, the old coach Bill Parcells used to say, our record is our record, right? And you can't spin it in any way because they're numbers. And you mentioned it before. Ten people watching CNN in a room one year ago today now has seen nine of those people leave. That's what 90% of losing your audience means. So right. that has to go back to the way that they're doing their job. So I was talking – I was on Fox uh, not too long ago talking with uh, Dana Perino about – the trucker convoy and and the protest going on in Ottawa and Canada. And we reviewed a CNN report. And this is, this is what I mean about the way they do news. Now, basically they take a story, right? And the reporter injects his or her partisan opinion into that story. It's supposed to be a straight news report, but no, no, they're going to make sure that they're going to lead the viewer in in one direction. Right. And, And then from there, they echo what, again, we talked about believing the government before. They echo what the Canadian government says about these truckers being racist and sexist. And then CNN even goes so far to call that convoy in Canada an insurrection. Boy, that's a pretty familiar term, isn't it? It's sedition, right? It's a threat to democracy. This was in a straight news report they did on this. So while they're covering what's going on above the northern border, the southern border they ignore, where fentanyl's coming in in record numbers and more people are dying between the ages of 18 and 49 from fentanyl overdoses than anything else in this country, but they ignore that. So to, to, to get back to CNN, this is why I wrote for The Hill not too long ago that the, the collapse of CNN is complete because, again, I'm looking at it from a sports columnist perspective. They lost their network president of over a decade who dictated – content on that network like no one ever has before, calling into control rooms, literally getting into anchors' ears saying, ask Kellyanne this question, for example. It's, 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 right. it's been proven and documented, right? So they've lost that guy. Then they lost their top-rated anchor in Chris Cuomo, which is like being the skinniest kid at Fat Camp, because being a top-rated guy at, at CNN doesn't really mean a lot, but he was, and now that 9 o'clock spot is completely wide open. They can't find anybody to fill it. And they've lost 90% of their audience, and their integrity is in shambles. If that isn't a collapse, Greg, I don't know what is. It's an epic collapse. Um, Let me ask you about Brian Stelter, CNN's media critic in-house. He has been derided as uh, Zucker's water boy. I think you said that, Joe. Uh, But in early January, (laughs) let me just give an example. Early January, Radar, which is an online news organization, publishes an expose about Zucker's clandestine romance with Allison Gullist at, at CNN. And literally... Hours after those two were asked by Radar for a comment, Stelter publishes a column absolutely trashing Radar for, quote unquote, peddling lies. Of course, the affair turned out to be true and it came out, you know, about a week or 10 days later. 
Does that strike you as a coincidence that uh, Brian Stelter was doing Zucker's dirty work and trying to cover it up? It had to be deliberate. <laughs> what well, didn't Freud say? There are no coincidences, right? There are no accidents. No, yeah. of course not. Uh, it is well known with, within CNN, and I, I have I have some friends there uh, that Brian Stelter would be in Jeff Sucker's office on a, a daily and sometimes in an hourly basis. Uh, his office was right down the hall, and they would just walk in and talk about not about journalism, but Brian Stelter. I'm going to actually compliment him here, Greg, because I find him to be an impressive individual. When you could do all these jobs at once, when you could be the senior chief media correspondent for CNN when you could host a show on CNN, when you also run opposition research for CNN, right? In other words, we're Coke, and I guess they're Pepsi, even though Pepsi is competitive with Coke to a certain extent, so it's probably not a good analogy. But he's running opposition research. He also runs the public relations department and also handles crisis management. To do all that at once, that is impressive. (laughs) Now... (laughs) Yeah, but the problem is he doesn't do it well. Nobody watches his program. No. uh, I mean, his his program's just like every other CNN program. I saw yesterday... Yesterday, uh, we mentioned before, you know, they, they, they can't even break 500,000 viewers on average. I mean, that is remarkable. And nobody is watching his program except for other so-called journalists that, that happen to agree with them. But that's a very niche audience, right? So, look, when I hear that Brian Stelter was shocked and didn't know anything about the relationship between Jeff Zucker and Allison Gullist, which apparently, according uh, to two reports that I've read now, has been going on since 1996, right? That's right. 25 years. That's the amount of time that Fox News has been in existence, that he didn't know, being as close as he was to Zucker. They can't even report on the ouster of their own president without lying to their audience, and that sums up exactly where they are. It is a collapse, and it's the collapse of the career of Brian Stelter, who at the New York Times, you know, was kind of a wonderkind, but when you become the stenographer for your from your boss, that tends to hurt your integrity a bit. Mm. Yeah, no kidding. You you mentioned um, your column came out a few days ago. CNN's collapse is now complete, and towards the end, you pose a question, and, and I'll pose it back to you: um, What's next for CNN when the company falls under the Discovery Channel umbrella? So, what is next? Well, you have a guy named John Malone coming in, who's John Malone. He is the CEO of Liberty Media, and uh, he will be the leading... Huge media mogul. Huge, yeah, yeah. The, the, the biggest media mogul that many people probably listening have never heard of, but trust me, he's got power, and he will be the, the biggest uh, stakeholder in, in CNN, in essence, right? So he's going to have a big say in the room. And here's what he told CNBC, of all places, right? So, uh, <laughs> talk about awkward. He says, quote, I would like to see CNN evolve back to the kind of journalism that it started with and actually have journalists, which would be unique and refreshing. Oh boy. Talk about a warning shot across the bow. So now you have all these CNN personalities defending Zucker and calling him the greatest thing ever. They're not so much defending Zucker. They are defending themselves. They're having a pity party for themselves because they know now know that they're all expendable. All of them. I don't know any of them that could be hired by another network. I may make an exception for Jake Tapper because I could see like a CBS or an NBC hiring him. But all these other people that basically made themselves the story from Jim Acosta to the morning team, the Brian Keeler, to Brian Stelter himself. Uh, if Jeff Sucker isn't around and CNN changes course and actually goes back to the old CNN that we liked growing up, right, uh, during the Gulf War and Bernard Shaw and Peter Arnett and so on, uh, then they're in big trouble. So <laughs> that's where CNN is going, hopefully, back to the network where you saw them as a spare tire, that when breaking news happened, particularly internationally, they got bureaus all around the world, and you turn to them when 
breaking news happened and a war broke out. Uh, but can they do that? I doubt it because it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube. Or in this case, it's hard to put Humpty Dumpty back together, Greg. <laughs> it's interesting. You use the term Humpty Dumpty, which is Sean Hannity's favorite. Does he? Uh, I've never heard of calling Brian that before. Stelter. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, never heard that. Um, <clears throat> I think you're right. I, once Discovery takes over full control of CNN and Warner Media and so forth, I think there's a reckoning that yep. is imminent, and we'll leave it at that. Joe Concha, uh, thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate it. Fox News contributor and politics and uh, media columnist for The Hill. Thanks again. Appreciate it. And that's The Brief. Thanks for joining us. 